Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. You know, we're going to start off here talking about, what, the 10 money myths that parents need to pass on to their kids? Yes, we are. There's a pretty good list here. Um, you know, We've talked about these a little bit before, but a little different perspective on some training that you ought to be talking to your kids about and some things you should not say. And, um, you know, um, if you're a grandparent listening, you can, you know, pass these on to your grandkids as well. So pretty interesting uh, topic here. Yeah, very important information kids need to be aware of um, as they move into adulthood. And uh, then we also are going to follow that up with the seven tips never to run short in retirement. You know, I mean, a lot of people get into retirement, they aren't quite prepared. And um, so you don't want to run short. And we got the seven tips. Um, Great article here out of AARP. Uh, about a lot of people they polled, and, and these are their seven best ideas. So you'll want to hang on for that. And uh, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 22 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. You can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast, and we have them categorized. We've been doing podcasts for a number of years now, so we have a lot of uh, shows out there that you can go back and listen to. And uh, we also have a Facebook page. Um, put a um, video out there every week and try to have some fun with that. And um, So go check Facebook out. And we also have a Twitter account, right? So we That's tweet right. periodically. So um, if you're looking for some good information, follow the Money Doctors. Yes, there's no shortage of ways to listen to us. And um, also, we'd love to have your questions. So you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us off our website, moneymd.net. Well, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from a uh, survey that was done by Willis Towers and Watson. And pretty interesting, Steve. They, they found, um, based on a survey of, of 401k participants um, or people that are employed, that about 20% of people are not taking advantage of the company match. So one in five people did not take account. And wow. that's free money. And so some statistics or uh, some numbers on that for 20 years, if you didn't take advantage of the match at an 8% rate of return, you're walking away uh, of about $60,000. So if you're wow. making 40,000 as the income, 8% rate of return over 20 years, a company you'd be walking away from almost 60. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I'm always surprised when I sit down with somebody and we start talking about, you know, their situation and they're like, oh yeah, I still am not really contributing. You know, uh, they put in the maybe a little bit, but their, their company, you know, they're giving up the company match or the mm-hmm. majority of it. And it's shocking because you're right. That's free money. We talk about that all the time. And you just have to take advantage of that. That's like step number one, you know, when it comes to your priorities for where to save. That's like that's like right after the emergency fund. Mm-hmm. You know, you do the emergency fund and you got to get your match. So it's so there you are. People say there's not free things in life. That is free. It really is a part of your salary. It is that's part why, of your and compensation. You're walking away from it if you don't put it in there. Exactly. So. so you can't afford to give up part of your salary. So make sure you get that free match. Okay, and that leads us up here to our first topic, the 10 money myths parents need to pass on to their kids 
to to understand, right, that they're missed. Yeah, that's right. So this is from uh, Asia Martin, and it's pretty good. Um, you know, Steve, there's a, a, a author out there, Steve Seibold. Um, he's asking parents this question, and the book's called Secrets of Self-Made Millionaires and What They Teach Their Kids. And he did over a 1,000 interviews with affluent parents um, who have rag-to-riches narratives in some cases, and he discovered some money truths that um, parents should discuss with their kids and some money myths as well that they had to really stop, you know, talking to them about because it's not true. Um, you know, and so instead of minimizing the significance of, of money, Siebold preaches that parents should be advised to focus on money and then themselves learn as much about it as they can. So, you know, he goes on to say money doesn't make you happy, but it's really important. And um, he kind of, his next, you know, topic or comment was, is breathing doesn't make me happy, but, you know, you kind of need to have that as well. So right. so here are 10, you know, money myths um, and some money truths as well. And myth number one is making money is hard. And, you know, you can make money if you know where to look, um, but, you know, you got to teach the children how to do that, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, and making money is hard, John, you know, and so you have to have a plan. You can't a just plan, yes. you can't just go into it thinking that, oh, I'll just get a job and, you know, all of, all of a sudden I'm going to make six figures. Um, so teach your children, you know, what, what it takes to make money. You know, money's about solving problems. You know, the world's full of problems, which means that there's lots of money-making potential for them. But you got to go out there and you got to get equipped and trained and schooled on how to solve problems for people. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be something that's not easy to solve or else everybody will be doing it and it'll be really cheap. You know, so you need to have some skills. You need to get a good education. Good, good tech school trade trade would be would be also very, very good. But you got to have a plan for how you're going to make money. It's not going to come easy. That's right. Myth number two is is money is evil. A lot of people, you know, talk about money is evil. Unfortunately, you know, Steve, a lot of the masses see money as negative, um, nasty, necessary evil, and they constantly fear and worry about it. So teach your kids to see money as their friend. I mean, this is a friend that offers opportunity, peace of mind, and uh, and some fun as well. Um, teach your kids to develop a healthy relationship with money and really see it as a medium of exchange. Don't view it as an indicator of self-worth. So Dave Ramsey talks about this quite a bit. And, you know, money can build buildings um, for people to help them. So it doesn't have to be viewed as a as an evil um, as long as you view it the right way and you manage it, you know, God's way, right? That's exactly right. That's, That's very, exactly very important. Right. So money is not necessarily evil. Number three here is kids, um, you know, need an Ivy League, Ivy League education to become rich. And that's that's not true. I mean, most parents believe formal education is the only education that helps their kids become successful. Wealthy parents certainly respect formal education, but they encourage their kids to tap any form of education available to help make their dreams a reality. So whether it's interviewing very successful people, uh, reading, listening, or attending seminars, self-education is a powerful tool. And we've talked about this. Going local for a couple of years, getting some base classes um, is a great way to lower your cost for college. And then you can go off to a, a Carolina, Clemson, or Georgia um, if you want that experience. But you don't have to go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, that's right. The next myth here is that hard work will make you rich. Well, you know, we wish it were that easy. Um, you know, that's not to say you shouldn't work hard. Mm -hmm. You really should work hard. But if hard work was a secret to money, then every construction worker and cocktail waitress would be rich because they work really, really hard. But teach your kids to think big because thinking – 
you know, is the highest paid type of work. Um, so you got to be able to, to do something that, that you get paid well for um, that requires skills. You know, teach your kids to use their natural talents, their abilities, their passions, to think of solutions for problems that people will pay for. Innovative thought. Innovative, innovative thought. I can't pronounce that today, can I? <laughs> innovative. <laughs> there you go. Thought goes much further than hard, to a hard day's work. Yeah. So you, you got to be, you got to have some skills yeah. once again. You got to work smart. Exactly. Right. So myth number five here is your kids should associate with anybody. And I don't think many people believe that. But teach your kids having money doesn't make you better than someone else. However, if your kids want to be successful, teach them to hang out with uh, people that are doing the right things. The world consists of two groups, winners and, and wannabes in a lot of cases. And the winners get what they want in life. And the wannabes sit around wondering how the winners did it. And they want a piece of the, the pie. And you know, your kids you know, shouldn't necessarily hang out with the cool kids. They really ought to be associated with people that are winning. Uh, obviously, you know, being cool is overrated and, and being successful is probably a better strategy. But look at who your kids are hanging out with because that's going to that may define what they're going to do with their lives as well. So myth number six, if you fail, move on to the next thing. And, you know, Steve, parents often want to diversify their child's interest, and, and that's okay. Um, however, make sure that your kids understand that if they fail at something, they shouldn't automatically move on to the next thing. Rather, you know, teach them some persistence and patience and, you know, failure is not fatal. I mean, a lot of people have failed in their careers in life and have gone on to be the best. Uh, Michael Jordan was cut from his eighth grade uh, maybe it was ninth grade high school basketball team, and I think he wow. did pretty good. Yeah, I think right? he turned out okay. I think yeah, he, yeah. So he probably he used that as motivation a little exactly. bit. Exactly. He didn't take failure as the the, the last, you know, that's the it. Answer, last answer. So teach exactly. your teach your kids that success is reached by failing over and over again, and learning from those mistakes and being motivated. So that's a good one on the list. Yeah, it is. The next myth here is all people are equal. Now, you know, we know we're all created equal, right, in in the eyes of God. Um, But, you know, and we should all be treated with equal respect and equal justice. But that does not make us equal in other ways like talents and skills and, you know, your character and your, your, um, you know, characteristics. Your kids will be better than other kids in some areas, but they'll be lacking in others. So teach your kids to focus on their own unique talents, leverage them to construct the life they desire. Don't cushion your children to believe that, you know, that that they're owed a fair life with mm-hmm. equal opportunities. I mean, teach them that, you know, they have to overcome adversity and they have to make it happen for themselves. You know, they're, they're going to have opportunities, but they need to focus on their talents and on their skills and their God-given abilities and go pursue their dreams based on that. Yeah, that's a good one. Another one here, Steve, we hear this uh, frequently, is your children's generation is lazy entitled and spoiled. And you hear that about really the the generation uh, that's coming up right now. And that's not true. I mean, every generation says this about the following generation. The truth is every generation has individuals that are lazy and entitled and spoiled, but they also have creators and producers and innovators. Uh, You know, these people get things done. They find new ways to do things. Um, Unfortunately, these creative individuals are often demonized before they're celebrated. So encourage your kids to look beyond the stigma and follow their passions. Um, you know, I think the new generation coming up is extremely bright and, and a lot of really, really great ideas that's changing the world. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. The next myth here is money will make you happy. 
Well, we all know that's yeah. not true. I mean, just look at Hollywood and celebrities, yeah. and you can know that that obviously is not true. I mean, while having a livable amount of money certainly makes life easier, and having plenty certainly makes life easier and opens new opportunities, it does not directly bring you happiness. I mean, too many people, parents included, think that, you know, a certain marker of money in the bank will help them feel more secure. Um, you know, there's no amount of money that can erase life's chaos and struggles. I mean, happiness is sought from family, friends, and most importantly, love and your faith. You know, don't teach your children to equate money with happiness. Teach them to find happiness, you know, before they before they get money. Yeah, that's good. You're right. You're spot on on that one. Number 10 here is the middle class means that you've reached the American dream. And, and aspiring to be middle class is outdated by decades. In the U.S., the middle class is really a very large demographic, and it takes minimal ambition to get there. Some people are perfectly fine with keeping a roof over their heads and, and food in the fridge, and that's fine for, for different folks. Uh, maybe you want to encourage your, your children to raise their expectations and strive for you know more ambitious heights. So inspire them to be world-class. They're going to fail you know sometimes as we talked about going through this. Money is not the most important thing, but it is nice to have some. But have them dream and think about things that they want to do, maybe change the world for, for the better. So these are all very, very good tips. Um, we highly recommend that you do talk to your kids and your grandkids as well um, about money, because if you don't, someone else is, and they may not be getting the right message. That's exactly right. All right, those are great tips, great myths to pass on to your kids, and I like those a lot. Those are important. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this has to do with life insurance, and I had a, a couple that was retiring recently, and um, they said, uh, you know, I have a $50,000 whole life policy, so we took a look at it, uh, paying about $250 a month for $50,000 of coverage. Hmm. Now, some other pieces of information, they have about 100000 coming in in pensions and Social Security. They have no debt, and they have about a half a million dollars investments. So the question is, is did, you know, do they still need it? And, um, you know, we went through it and talked about different options, and really we look at insurance as protecting the other person. And because of their right. pensions and having no debt, um, they really that fifty thousand really would not move the needle very it's much. Not in their a situation. lot of insurance, and they're paying a pretty good bit for it. And they had a lot of cash value; they had about thirty thousand in cash sitting there, so they're going to take that and, and build up their emergency fund. So it was kind of a, 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 a neat little opportunity for them, really. Yeah, I mean, think about how much term insurance you could buy. You could buy a good twenty-year term policy if you're healthy. And, uh, gee, for that amount of money, you could buy a million dollars easy, I would think. So, you know, that's that's a, that's a whole lot to be paying for $50,000 of insurance, even though it is growing and, mm-hmm. you know, there's an investment component to that. Um, yeah, you want to evaluate those policies and whole life policies especially. They can change, too. So you want to take a quick – you want to take a look at those yearly, every couple years – Evaluate whether it's worth keeping it, you know, moving forward, what the cash value is, the cash surrender value, and how much that's going up or going down each year. You know, if it starts to go down, then that's a good indication that the policy's underwater and it's not going to last forever. So, you know, you got to do some math and figure out whether it's whether it's a good value mm-hmm. to keep that. So that's a great question of the week. Okay, that leads up to our next topic here, and that is the seven tips never to run short in retirement. Yeah, this comes from AARP, um, Jeff Yeager, and uh, 
You know, John, there's an old joke in retirement planning profession that I'm sure you've heard many times, and that is, you know, there was nothing wring with your retirement plan. You, you simply live too long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there's lots of retirement plans that look good if you die by age, say, 75. But hopefully that's not where you're headed, and that's certainly not what you want to plan for. Um, you know, however, I mean, the prospect of running out of money in retirement is no laughing matter. Um he writes in his book, How to Retire the Cheapskate Way. Jeff Eager asked more than 100 happily retired frugal folks how they plan for and manage their finances in retirement to avoid running short. And so here are their seven best strategies. And I think some of these are very good. The first one here I think is really good is test drive your retirement budget. Um, you know, that, that is very, very true. You certainly want to know it, that you can make it on your, your budget for retirement. Yeah. Many people, they wait till they are on the cusp of retirement or even fully retired before they crunch the numbers and put in place a realistic budget, household budget based on the actual income that they're going to have to work with in retirement. As a result, their lifestyles often change abruptly, you know, as the effect of the loss of income takes hold and they're retired, and, and things do change, and, you know, then their newly minted budgets are quickly shelved as they return to their previous spending patterns, and that's a move that can quickly drain your resources, so you don't want to let that happen. In contrast, a lot of successfully retired people that we've seen, they test drive their budgets in the years leading up to retirement. You know, maybe a year before, you know, they start living off that month-to-month budget as they know exactly how that's going to feel living off a certain amount of income. And, um, you know, and this allowed them to gradually adjust their spending. You know, sometimes as a result of test driving the budget, they even decided that they needed to postpone retirement. Um, And when they did finally retire, their lifestyles changed very little, making it easier for them to stick to their budgets. So you want to test drive that budget a little bit before retirement. Make sure that you know that's going to work in retirement. That's that's a great strategy. And the second one here on the list is fix your expenses to fix your fixed income. And, you know, that's a pretty straightforward um, strategy. If you can limit your fixed expenses, you, you think about food and housing, health care, so that your guaranteed income, you look at Social Security, pensions, or maybe even annuity income, will at least cover these expenses, you're probably going to be okay in a worst-case scenario. And assuming that you have other variable income, such as um, you know investment accounts or maybe you're working part-time, and that can be allocated for variable expenses. Those are the, the wants in your life opposed to the needs. Or you can put that back into savings and, um, you know, maybe build that up for a rainy day as well. So, you know, there, there some people have a question, well, I'm taking money out of an IRA, is that considered fixed income? It really depends on how they're invested. You know, if it's a, if it's a low risk type strategy, or maybe there is some kind of process that you're using. So when the markets are down, you're pulling it out of bonds and markets are up. You're pulling it out of stocks, and that can be that can work um, as well. But you, if you can fit your your fixed income and your fixed expenses together, it it goes a long way to to making this work. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, for most people, you know, and well, even for people that have millions of dollars, John, you know, if they have those in investments and they think that their investments are going to afford them the ability to splurge on housing, food, and fixed income expenses in retirement, you have to be careful. You know, you're only as safe as long as you have, you're only safe as long as you move enough money to lower risk investments to cover those expenses and those splurges. 
you know, obviously, if there's any chance that your combined fixed income and your variable income may not cover your fixed expenses, you're going to have a problem and you need to consider postponing retirement or maybe downsizing your spending to fit within your income. So be careful with that. But you certainly want to fit. Uh, you want to fix your expenses to fit inside your fixed income. So money that you know is going to be there. That's a good one. Next one here is don't count on Social Security alone, but don't count it out either. Um, You know, it's important to know that Social Security was never intended to be the sole source of income for a comfortable retirement. Um, In fact, the system was designed to replace only about 30 or 40 percent of most recipients pre-retirement income with the average monthly Social Security benefit at only about thirteen hundred and sixty dollars. Obviously, you're not going to be living very well uh, on just that amount of money if that's all you have coming in. In fact, that's just above the U.S. poverty threshold um, for your sole source of income for a single person. So you don't want that to be your sole source. And that's why it's important to have um, a pension, a 401k, IRAs, other supplemental income sources before retiring. That said, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, a lot of people planning for retirement, particularly young people, they totally discount Social Security, Um, you know, kind of buying into the myth that Social Security system is nearing extinction and won't be around at all. Um, You know, I think that's a little bit extreme as well. You know, while the the issues are complicated and Social Security does face a number of financial challenges, you know, they're not as serious or insurmountable, I believe, as most people think. Um, The benefits may be reduced, You know, the ages to receive benefits may be extended by lawmakers, but you can probably still count on a a not insignificant level of Social Security by the time you retire. So visit the Social Security website at ssa.gov for the latest news on the program and your benefit statement. Check out your benefit statement. Know what your Social Security is going to look like, but never plan to retire on Social Security alone. Um, You need to plan to have it. And, you know, maybe it's going to be reduced for younger folks. You don't know. But, you know, be conservative, but also have other sources of income that you're planning for. Yeah, that's 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 good, Steve. Another one here on the list, which is really critical and we 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 honestly uh, believe in. And this is what we strive for is retire your debt before you, you retire yourself. And this is a concept that it's hard for a lot of would be retirees. There's probably 50 percent of retirees that go in to retirement with some type of debt. Um, you know, we, we are big believers in trying to get this paid off. Uh, he goes on to say his happy, happily retired cheapskates, they take a hardline approach to the issue of debt, insisting that you retire all your debt, including your home mortgage before you stop working. Because once you're debt free, you can use the money that you would have otherwise spent on interest and other things. And, um, you know, associated with the house, um, payment, you can now use that to, uh, to pay for other things. In fact, most frugal retirees they interviewed were successful in paying off their debts before, even before they retired, um, or the, they wouldn't have retired to begin with. So having the debt and the home mortgage paid off is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. That's the important one. That's good. And then the next one here is Medicare is wonderful, but don't underestimate your health care costs on top of Medicare. You know, under current policies, most Americans turning 65, they they do qualify for Medicare health uh, care, care coverage. And that's extremely valuable benefit um, that you've earned and you need to understand, you know, what it looks like. So go to Medicare.gov and understand the benefits that you'll be getting. 
Um, but you're going to pay for Part B. You'll get Part A automatically. So uh, there's going to be some expense for Part B. It's like $134 a month, I believe now, John. But So you can breathe a sigh of relief once you've qualified for Medicare, but don't think for a minute that your health care-related cost worries are going to be over. I mean, in fact, Fidelity um, Benefits Consulting estimates that a couple retiring these days will spend an average of $260,000 of their own money on premiums, deductibles, out-of-pocket health care costs in retirement. So, you know, talk about a nest egg buster. I mean, that's pretty big. That's a lot of money. It sure is. So buying an appropriate, you know, Medicare supplement insurance policy, which covers um, some of the cost not covered by Medicare is worth is worth it to hedge your bets, you know, if you can afford it. So take a look at that. There are up to 10 different types of Medigap policies, depending on your state, you know, and when you choose uh, that you you should factor in your projected health, uh, lifestyle, your risk tolerance, your ability to pay for other factors. Um, so for help with that, you know, go to Medicare.gov, um, you know, pick choosing a Medigap policy. There's a link there and, you know, they can give you a lot of information about what that covers. Um, but also be aware that, you know, Medicare does not cover, you know, nursing home costs. So that's a long-term care is a whole nother issue. Mm-hmm separate from health care. Uh, so you need to look at that separately. Yeah. Uh, next one here on the list is, is stay active. Uh, folks that were successful in retirement and maybe keep earning as well. So you know, if you're staying active in retirement, it not only increases the quality of your life, but can also keep you healthy and reduce your medical cost. And it can also supplement your income because if you're making some some uh, additional money in, in, uh, in re- retirement, you can actually um, make up to about $17,000 and not impact your uh, Social Security benefits. And there are about 60% of Americans uh, per a Gallup poll that said that they were, you know, intend to work some in retirement. And we, we see that a lot um, as we talk to folks about going from a full-time job. Sometimes they don't want to just completely retire. They're going to go back and consult. I've had some mm-hmm. clients that I have one that's delivering flowers because he enjoys the reaction he gets when people open the door. So, you know, you can do a lot of things in retirement um, and keeping earning some money is going to help you as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You know, and I mean, think beyond, uh, I mean, beyond the annual earnings threshold, you can still continue to receive Social Security benefits at a reduced rate. Um, you know, if you truly enjoy your part-time work, you know, and you're, you're earning above that $19,000 roughly threshold, I think it is, John, Mm -hmm. that you can earn, um, you know, you can continue to work and earn more than that. And it just kind of delays your, your social security. You don't really lose that money they take away. It adds to your benefit later. So that's not a bad strategy either, but it's a good point. And also the last one here is practice income procrastination. Now, we've talked about spending procrastination a lot. You know, that's a good tactic for reducing your expenses and figuring out if an expense is truly a need or not, is to procrastinate your spending um, and to, you know, maybe take a month and think about it or a week to think about before you make big spending decisions. Um, So that's good advice. But in retirement, income procrastination is also an important concept worth considering. The idea is to delay as long as possible drawing on the funding sources you have available in retirement, such as Social Security, your IRA, your 401k account, um, because 
you know, if you do that, then your income potential will go up. So the more you can procrastinate, taking Social Security goes up about 8% a year. You can delay that all the way up to age 70, and you'll get about 32% more than you would if you started at age 66. So that's a great way to ensure that you're going to have a lot more income later on in life, and you're going to be very, very comfortable um, so think about income procrastination, the same thing about uh, delaying taking money out of your retirement plan, your investments. If you have those invested and it's earning well and growing, um, it's diversified, then with you delaying, it's likely going to grow and create more income later. So uh, income procrastination is a good strategy yeah, I like to that. Help, help build your, uh, your retirement income later on down the road. All right, and that leads us up here to our last item, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, Steve. So there's there's new um, you know new tax laws, and they basically have done away with exemptions, um, which is what they used on W fours, which is a tax form um, that you would work with your employer on. Um, so they now have allowances, um, and so the IRS just came out recently with a new calculator, you've got to have your paycheck in front of you because it's going to ask you some information about income, the amount of taxes that you've paid, and some other general questions as well. But it'll help you estimate um, what your tax bill is going to be. And then it'll actually tell you a corresponding allowance to put on that form, the W-4 form, that you can then turn into your employer. So instead of um, fretting about, you know, how much should I be withholding, this tool now is going to help you calculate that. So it's it's pretty neat. I, I've gone through it a little bit. Um, my, my daughter, Danielle, just started a new job, and um, she initially filled out the W-4, and I'm like, well, this doesn't matter anymore because there are no exemptions. So that's right. I was telling her when this came out that we would go back and relook it. So we're going to put that on our website as well, moneymd.net. So if you're listening out there and you want to do an estimate of the, your new tax bill for 2018, go check out our website. Yeah, check out our website. We'll have a link to it. But uh, the IRS website um, has this new withholding tool yep. and, you know, there's no better no, no better vehicle for figuring out how much to withhold than going through that calculation and actually putting in some real numbers. Mm-hmm. So uh, go check that out if you're uh, trying to figure out how much to withhold from your paycheck or pay in as estimated taxes. All right. Well, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 